Hi, I'm Lou. Welcome to Therapy and the Body. Tune in to hear me and my therapist friends talk about why it's important to include the body in the therapeutic process. This podcast is for clinicians, clients, and anyone who's interested in exploring the body's experience. Today, we'll be talking to a very special guest, my wife, Phoenix Jackson. She's a somatic therapist with a practice based in Oakland. She's one of the most compassionate people I know, and that really shines through her clinical work. One thing I really appreciate about her clinical style is that she's really real and disarming. She's gifted at helping people feel comfortable in her presence. This comes through in her teaching and her training, too. And she's also just freaking brilliant. She teaches therapeutic communication at California Institute of Integral Studies, and she does trainings on topics such as trauma-informed interviews and research, trans and gender non-conforming clients, and self-care for clinicians. So Phoenix, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Oh, hey Lou. Thanks so much, my wife. Appreciate <laughs> you having me on your show today. <laughs> When did you know you wanted to be a therapist and and then a somatic therapist? Well, for one thing, I have the face. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I would frequently find myself um, in a position of listening to somebody. um, And uh, I got complimented for those skills. And so I guess I sought to try to improve them. And some... Uh, early exposure to martial arts, um, both as uh, a practical matter of self-defense, a way of empowerment, and a a way of life, gave me some background that I guess lends itself towards my becoming a psychotherapist. And then finally, um, I felt called. Uh, Like so many of us, it sounds trite, but there it is, you know. Um, At a certain point, it seemed like every other path that I had attempted to take just led me closer to becoming a psychotherapist. <laughs> mm. um, kind of the long way around. I wasn't somebody that necessarily grew up thinking that I would do that or knowing that I could be fulfilled in that work. But um, uh, I'm lucky enough to come to it through a lot of other life experiences that I wouldn't trade anything for, but um, I definitely wouldn't necessarily want to go back to. Was there a a point in time? Like, how was the calling received? Did you hear it? Did you feel it? So not necessarily like halos and harps and singing voices or something that, uh, but more like a quiet voice in the night that was like a shining beacon for me, really, a a way through, a way to understand how I could continue to survive since Mm. the pain I was in wasn't so, um, uh, the the doctors, nobody knew what was happening, you know, um, and I was coming out of pocket and I spent $10,000 in cash one year trying to figure out how to live better and treat the pain and everything. And um, I realized that I needed to make some changes and that was going to include learning how to be in the world in a way where I could function and thrive 
you know, and heal. I was also coming out of a really just difficult time in my personal life. I was coming into some realization of some really poor decisions that I had made that had hurt some people in my life. And sitting in those consequences and circumstances, and quite alone at the time. And so my therapist was some of my only support. And mm. I realized that, um, I guess that, that that was some way that I had frequently found myself experiencing some of the most meaningful parts of life was being able to be there um, and care for other people as well. And so there was just sort of this interesting pivot going on. I was both being cared for, and then I also realized that I cared about other people in a way that my life's decisions had always reflected, and that learning how to safely sit with people and move with people and heal with people uh, could be my contribution and, and my life's work and a way to, in some sense, redeem some of the poor decisions of the past, but also to just really step fully into my life's purpose. Mm, wow. So there was a parallel process like you and your, in your therapy and then coming to terms with maybe wanting to be a therapist yourself. I'll, always, I mean, that there's been a parallel process in my life. And so the, the body pain you're talking about, did that have anything to do with why you wanted to specialize in somatic psychology? Hmm. It's true. Um, at the intersection of the, the martial arts that I learned, I wasn't studying it anymore actively at that time. It was called Wujin Pai. So some of the sayings that come out of that school were around uh, that we were empowering women to heal through martial arts. Mm. And so when I found myself in this sea of pain, I ended up pulling a lot from um, those studies and, and those times. And um, that definitely, uh, it was healing, and mm. it definitely propelled me uh, towards wanting to study how integrating movement, both free-flowing and sort of more uh, formalized or uh, uh, set of movements mm -hmm. that we repeat over and over, mm -hmm. um, or how cross-training or mm. affecting changes on the heart rate, the breathing, mm. uh, in, just in temperature or um, in other ways, how all of that can serve to complement or hinder our health and our healing. And so how, how would you say your experience in martial arts influences how you work with clients as a somatic therapist? Just in terms of discipline uh -huh. and consistency of application of whatever the practice is. Oh, consistency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That it's a, that, that it's all a practice. Yeah. Right. So yes. when we're healing from something or learning something, um, we can bring everything about life into mm. into that mm. to inform it and to and be informed by it so whether it's uh i'm going to make up a song to help me remember something or uh, while also recognizing that singing that song is moving air through my lungs in this way mm. that we have to do anyway to survive so you might as well like 
sing a song, you Ooh. know, something that bring, lifts your spirits, you know. Yeah. It's also going to increase dopamine. And so all these, you know, and, and that's just one little simple thing. That's everything, though. Mm. So what are some of your favorite interventions? Well, I think I love being with people as they notice orienting response. What I will say is, you know, that I'm going to introduce to them a practice that I learned, that I'm going to sort of walk them through a process to help them, uh, let's say, with anxious symptoms or okay. something like this. That when they notice themselves having the anxiety, or for sure, anytime they come into a novel environment, somewhere they're new, mm -hmm. uh, especially might be useful, maybe in a job interview situation or something like that, or maybe even um, with nervousness, speaking publicly, uh -huh. to uh, take a moment coming into that new environment, if they have any experience with animals, I'll mm. say you might notice that uh, when a dog or a cat comes into a new environment, they enter, pick a spot, and they systematically sniff all their way around that whole room until they come back to where they started. And the, when they've satisfied that they're safe in that environment, they're fine. They'll just curl right up at your feet and, and, and relax. Right. What human beings can take from that, we're, we don't have really great sense of smell, but we do have predominant vision and hearing. So to take some time in a new environment, or if they notice themselves feeling unsettled, jittery, uh, anxious, restless, just picking a point in the room and moving their vision slowly across the whole room, and maybe even turning in a slow circle mm -hmm. all the way around mm -hmm. and looking up and down at everything in the room. And then maybe finding something that feels really pleasant to look at, you know, um, something where they can just rest, almost let whatever it is that's captured their, their, their vision, their, their interest to let that come to them. It could be for reasons of color or shape, or maybe it evokes a certain memory that's really pleasing, or maybe they would really enjoy the feeling of pressing that thing up against their cheek, or the way mm. they imagine it smells, mm. and just resting, really. So I'll, I'll do that with people, and then I'll say... Usually, what people will notice is that they feel calmer. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I mean, as I said, okay, no silver bullets, right? But I haven't had anybody yet say <laughs> that they didn't feel at least, I mean, some of them might have felt a little bit annoyed having to acknowledge that, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that I, I feel calmer. I don't understand why I feel calmer. I think that's maybe where the annoyance could come from. But right. Uh, it really helps, and that's something that we can be doing on a really regular basis. Nobody has to necessarily know what we're doing. Uh -huh. It can just look like we're looking at the sky or just kind of daydreaming, you know, and in the meantime, we're helping ourselves to feel more calm. Mm. Helping clients notice their senses? Absolutely. Yeah, so what is it about that that, that 
changes our state or makes us feel more calm, like noticing what we feel or what we see. It's, it's something of that. The census is where information comes into our, our awareness, our, our cognition, um, our other ways of knowing um, uh, to in, inform us about the relative safety of our environment. And mm-hmm. so when we allow ourselves that, it's a little harder to do in a modern world because we're, you know, like so busy all the time and in a hurry. So, but slowing down, much like that animal that's going to track its way ac- around the room to assure itself of safety, we're, we're allowing our senses to come online mm. to, to advise us. And, you know, and part of us is doing some planning in the back of our head about mm-hmm. what it's like being in that environment it's mm-hmm. not necessarily happening on a conscious level as a matter of fact most of the time i'm sure it's not when they go back and talk with survivors of things like boat crashes and stuff like that yeah people are not necessarily aware of having taken in oh where the exit sign is or oh where the fire extinguisher is but they can they can retrace their steps to it you know the that information that's coming in through their senses Mm. really rings out at them Mm -hmm. you know that's also the sympathetic nervous system though you know yeah (laughs) narrowing our field of vision to what's important to survival yeah wow so that's making me think of a couple things like it's like when you're first entering a space if you know where the door is or where the windows are that can kind of put us at ease Mm -hmm. And also, it makes me think of the polyvagal theory and how if we have the time to scan the room, that means we're obviously not running for our lives. It makes me think of two different things, like knowing where your exit is can be calming, right, for those of us who've experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can do that calms your whole system down. You know, thank you for bringing that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the other part of it is just that the physical act of your eyeballs moving in that way increases vagal tone. Okay. Uh, right. And, and, uh, it's almost like the, uh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm having a little bit of fun with it, but it's almost like the nervous system says, yeah, okay, well, if we got time to look around at stuff, probably okay you know there's nothing to get too excited about because when we're running for our life when we're frozen in fear for our life when we're fighting for our lives our gaze is fixed and not just looking around at you know like oh that's a nice painting right or you know (laughs) wow that plant i really love the shine on the leaves of that plant right looks like a little and if i put my face up close to it it'd be like a little mini air conditioner just so yummy so nice right right? you know yeah Um, so that's a good sign to our bodies that we can stop and smell the roses that means we're safe there is not a tiger in the room. <laughs> you know, there's nothing going on here. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. What What is something that you've learned working with clients somatically or have embraced for yourself as a result of using these ideas mm-hmm. in your clinical work? It's tough when you know folks may have to go a certain distance down a certain road before realizing that 
they didn't need to go that distance. It's kind of paradoxical, you know. Mm. They need to go there to realize that they didn't need to go there. True that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I became aware that a lot of my pain uh, was being caused by my anger, and wow. that my anger was a manifestation of my suffering. You know, the places where I chose to suffer. That I didn't have to do that. Mm. And that I maybe didn't want to do that anymore. Anymore. You know, yeah. if I could learn a, a, another way. Yeah. And, and so, and then the other side of that, I guess, for me, around, it's around, uh, uh, forgiveness. And I say that hesitatingly because I feel like, um, survivors experience so much pressure to forgive mm. and it's bypass. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, speak on that. you know, well, I just that there's no way out, but through, and it, so, yes. you know, so you might have to be angry. You might have to wonder why you didn't kill a mofo, you know, yes. um, you might have to go through all those places. But for me in doing so, I also became aware that the constant rumination, the constant rerunning of those images um, from painful events of the past. You know, your nervous system doesn't know the difference between something you're remembering, something you're imagining, and something that's actually happening is still just going to dump stress hormones into your system no oh. matter what. Mm. Stress hormones were keeping my body from healing, mm. uh, was especially coupled with things like coffee, you know, um, <laughs> that, you know, you're doing to stay performing and doing this output at a certain level. And, you know, 15 hour days, multiple days a week, multiple weeks and months a year and on and on that all had added up and uh, that I just I wanted out. I, I wanted out of that uh, cycle. Uh, and beyond that, then when you live long enough to see people who have hurt you in the past when you felt powerless die in ignoble and humiliating circumstances and realize that though you've been harmed, you have healed and that you would have wanted better for another human being. Wow. Wow. So I had to drop all those stories, you know. And every now and then I'll still kind of trip across one like a tree root or something. I mean, don't get it twisted. It's not like I've attained enlightenment or would pretend that, uh, you know, I right. got it all together. But I, I just knew that that anger, you know, when you entertain a negative thought towards somebody and then you realize that just a second after you had that thought that you've got a pain that has started from the tip of one ear mm. and arced down mm. and crossed across your body mm. and is landing in your shin somewhere, mm. that everything is connected, including how I'm thinking about things, mm. and that I can stay as angry as I want for mm. as long as I want, but I'm only hurting myself. At the end of it, if I want to heal, if I want to thrive, i got to let that stuff go yeah. and get on with it. And that's what I decided to do. So now it's an invitation towards anybody else who is ready to do that. Yeah. I don't want you to stay stuck any longer than you need to be. This is sometimes we got to be stuck for a minute. Cause right. We got to wiggle around in it and figure out what's not working and become convinced that, you know, that doesn't work. So there must be another way. This is a topic you and I are so passionate about because there becomes a point 
where you have to choose something else. And we are not talking about bypass. We're not. Mm. Feel the feelings, be angry. I can't wait to get a punching bag in my office so that my (laughs) clients can express and explore their anger. But there comes a point Mm. when you have to decide how you want to live and feel in your own skin. So I, I love your sharing that. Thank you so much. You know, you're so welcome. I feel lucky to have survived to be able to tell this part and to be able to have these conversations. So, hmm, who's who do you like to work with the most? Hmm. Like, who's your right fit client? And like, if you said it, they would notice that it's them and call you. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, who comes to see me are... Um, the folks who most frequently are across from me are at some intersection of being a member of some portion of the uh, <laughs> LGBTQ plus communities, uh, more likely than not black or a person of color, and uh, also typically the um, that they are experiencing some combination of anxiety, depression, and stress-related or trauma-related symptoms. Okay, so do you work with kids? You have a couple kids' clients, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I work with kids. I work with couples. Okay. I, I work with individuals. Okay. <laughs> and so are you seeing most of your clients on video? Are you meeting anybody in person right now? Seeing all my new clients by virtual office. Uh huh. At some point in the future, when things open up again, uh, obviously I'll, I'll I'll be happy to be seeing people in person again mm-hmm. in Oakland. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Phoenix, for your time today. It's a Saturday, and you've agreed to talk with me here. So really appreciate that. Thanks so much, Lou. You're really nice to talk to. Of course, I would think that being married (laughs) to you, but I appreciate being on and we'll stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Therapy and the Body. To get in touch with me about trainings or private sessions, email lujohnsontherapy at gmail.com. To learn more about how I work with couples and individuals, visit my website at loujohnsontherapy.com. Lou is spelt with an L-U.